This is episode 28, all about your running questions with my co-host, ultramarathoner and coach, Doug Hay. Hey everyone, this is your host, Jason Fitzgerald. I hope you're doing well and had a great weekend of running. I'm coming off a fun day out in the Rockies where I ran the Dirty 30 12-miler in Blackhawk, Colorado. This The family came with me, and my wife and two girls cheered me on as, as I tackled this race. And it was a crazy one. There was about 4,000 feet of elevation change, and it was on some of the you know most technical trails at about eight to 9,000 feet altitude. So needless to say, I'm pretty sore right now. It was a blast, though. These are some of the most beautiful trails I've ever run in my life. I had to stop and just marvel at being able to see 100 miles west into the mountains. It's just stunning. If you ever have the opportunity to get out into the mountains for some trail running, do it. Take advantage of it, and please don't miss that chance. I often say that running is one of the best ways to experience the world, and that couldn't be more true of trail running. Okay, let's dive into today's episode. This is the first show where I have a co-host. Joining me is my friend and fellow trail runner, Doug Hay. Doug runs the super popular site, rockcreekrunner.com, where he focuses on ultra and trail runners and how to help them run long on gnarly terrain. And I invited Doug to join me because we're going to answer some of the most common questions that I get. And I thought you would enjoy two coaches talking about their ideas rather than just me. So I hope you enjoy this conversation between Doug and I. Doug, thanks so much for being the podcast's first co-host. Oh, right. I am stoked for this. This is going to be fun. Yeah, and I heard you're going to poke fun at me the whole time. So if anything, this episode will be humbling. I went ahead and wrote out like 15 different things that that you do that are just absolutely ridiculous. And I'm just going to just keep listing them off throughout the entire episode. Okay, great. I, I think our <laughs> podcast listeners will dwindle to zero by the end of the show. But <laughs> yeah. Well, before we no, start, no, I, I do want to congratulate you, Doug. You just finished the 100-kilometer ultra race of champions, and you got a special belt buckle, didn't you? I did. I went sub-15, which uh, is, you know, so the winner, I will say, the winner, uh, Chris Macko, ran it in eight. 58 something or 840 something something like that so he was way way in front of me but i I got sub 15 which was my kind of my goal for the race uh and it was a good day it was good it was a tough course the mountains here in the mountains of virginia not north carolina uh where i am uh and it ended up being way more difficult than i expected it to but got it done and got the belt buckle and that was that was all that mattered yeah, I just read some of your stories on your site, Rock Creek Runner, and uh, I really like the one about your brother-in-law pacing you over the final <laughs> 12 miles or so, or 10 miles, uh-huh. and yep. you had to cover it in a time that doesn't seem too challenging. I think you had like over two and a half hours to run 10 miles, but right. I'm sure at the end of 100 kilometers, that that, that is actually a pretty aggressive pace. Yeah, you know, it just, uh, it was one of those paces where you just couldn't, it didn't feel like you had any time to spare for, you know, for me at that far after 50 something miles, you know, it was, it was, I knew I could get it done, but I needed to stay on point, stay focused the entire race or the entire section there. Uh, and it ended up being a really, probably the most difficult section of the race where there was this big, massive 1800 foot 
climb and then there were 20 or I don't know, maybe 17 Creek crossings you had to go through. They were like knee deep wading through the Creek kind of thing. Um, and so it was just kind of a slow section to be running where you had that time restraint on you. But, uh, he kept me focused. He like had everything mapped out to like the minute we need to be at this mile marker by here. We need to be starting the climb by this point at the top by that point. When we got to the climb, there was like a three mile downhill to the finish. And, uh, he was like, all right, you can relax. I think we're going to do it. So we ended up having about 15 minutes to spare. So it, we had worked out pretty well. That's awesome. Congrats. That's, uh, it's always exciting to be so close to your goal when you're, you know, roughly close to the finish line and oh, yeah. just knowing if you can hang on for dear life, then you're going to get it. Yeah, right. Exactly. You don't, you don't want to be those last few miles, just having to be checking your watch the whole time to make sure that you're, you know, you're not going to come in a minute or like 30 seconds past your, past your time, your goal time. You're describing like every single race I've ever run. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the worst. Isn't that the worst? Yeah, Especially just, if it's like, you know, if it's a PR or a BQ or something, you know, that you just really, really want. Uh, it's just, uh, that's the worst when you're fighting the clock the whole time. Right. It was like the last five miles of the Philadelphia Marathon where I knew that if I just had one s slow mile, I would not have reached my goal. So it oh. was just a mile by mile, hang on for dear life situation. <laughs> Yeah. Did you do it? Did you hang on? I did. I did. I, I, I had 28 seconds to spare. Oh, there you go. Which is That's not a lot of time. That's an eternity. An entire man. marathon. <laughs> no, not at all. It's like, uh, you know, you, you, you missed the cup at one of the water handoffs and you're, you're, you got 15 seconds right there. Exactly. All right, Doug. So what we're doing today, I thought it would be really fun to have you on. We're going to answer a bunch of questions from the strength running community. And these came in you know, via email, Twitter, Facebook. And I thought it would be a lot more helpful for our listeners to have two coaches instead of one batting ideas back and forth for each of these different questions. So, um, you know, I assume runners want to hear from me since they're listening to this podcast, but at the same time, you know, I think it's really important to have an outside perspective as well, uh, especially an ultra runner like yourself. You know, I think that adds some, some different nuance to the conversation. Yeah, no, this is gonna be fun. I think, uh, and you you shared the questions with me here, and I think we got some really good ones. So, yeah, let's uh, let's get started with our first one. So, uh, this one is is something that uh, has happened to me before. So I I feel this runner's pain. Uh, and this runner asks, I got lost on my last long run and ran 15 miles instead of 12 miles. Do I need to cut back another run this week by three miles, or do I just don't worry about it? What what do you think here, Doug? So I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, not to worry about it. You know, I think that some people, if, if they're progressing and that 15 miles might be the first time that they have run 15 miles and, and they should have run 12 and yeah, that was kind of the longest that they would have done, you know, then, then we're, we're looking at a little bit of that, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big jump. So you got to have to be careful and mindful of that. But, you know, people get lost all the time and, you know, routes that they map out are never perfect and you might be tacking on a mile here or a mile there and, uh, you know, I say congratulations for getting through that that extra long run, and uh, and not don't worry too much about it. Just make sure that you're being mindful of your recovery over the next few days, uh, and making sure that you're you know you're not pushing it this week uh, with any additional miles. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I think too. I think as long as this runner isn't completely fried from that long run, um, then they can keep moving forward with their training as is. Maybe maybe this runner. Um, 
slows down a little bit on their next run after the long run, just to really make sure that they're not pushing the effort and that they can recover properly from that longer mm-hmm. long run that they were originally planning for. But I think ultimately it comes down to how you feel. You know, if you feel good after a a 15 mile run when you were supposed to just be running 12, then, you know, maybe maybe that's okay then. Maybe you're you're ready to keep going with your training. But, you know, I always say if you're if you've done a, a run that significantly challenged you beyond an appropriate amount, so you know you're supposed to run 10 miles, but you ran 20, or you're supposed to run four by 400 meters on the track and you ran like eight by 800. You know, in other words, you went beyond an appropriate level of training stress. Then that's when you're in the area where okay, it's probably a good idea to cut back on the mileage a little bit the next run or the next two runs uh, and, and certainly be a little bit more cautious with the intensity the following week. Because I sure. think anytime, yeah, anytime you go beyond what you should be doing, then intensity should be the first thing that you dial back. But, you know, some really easy mileage, uh, you know, after a long, long run like this probably isn't that big of a deal provided that you're not, you know, your legs aren't completely beat up. Yeah. And I think that just kind of goes back to listening to your body. And that, that's with anything. If, if any particular long run just really fries you at the end of it uh, and you're, you're feeling it the next several days, then, then something is not right. You need to be cutting back on the, the intensity. You need to be listening to yourself and, and making proper adjustments. Um, so, you know, even if it wasn't intentional or even if it was on the schedule and, and you're, you're finding yourself fried, then you got to listen to yourself. Yeah, and I think the other thing this question really brings to light is the fact that a lot of runners really want to hit the exact number on their training plan for their weekly mileage. Mm. But it's not actually that important. Like, yes, it is, but at the same time, it's not. So if you're supposed to run 35 miles this week and instead you ran 34 or instead you ran 36, your body doesn't really know the difference. You know, it of course knows the difference between big swings and mileage. That's why you don't want to increase your mileage too much. That's why you don't want to all of a sudden go from running 40 miles a week to 20 miles a week, because soon your performance is going to start to suffer because you have such a lower workload and therefore fitness level. But, you know, with when we're talking a couple miles, the body really doesn't know the difference. So mm-hmm. if it's a little bit high or a little bit low, then no big deal. You know, when, with the runners I coach, if, if they're off by a mile or two for their weekly mileage, I don't get bent out, bent out of shape about that because it's not going to have a significant impact on their big goals, you know, whether, whether no matter what kind of race they're training for. Are you the kind of guy, Jason, where if your watch says, if you're, you're out for a six-mile run, your watch says five point eight, nine. Are you going to run that last 10th of a mile to make it round out to nine or to six? Yes, absolutely. Anybody who doesn't is a heretic. (laughs) I I cannot put 5.89 miles in my training log. That is, is crazy. I, I, are you taking crazy pills over there, Doug? You know, know. now let me tell you something. I used to be able to run 5.89 miles. But at the same time, I would always run an even minute. So maybe that was, mm. um, you know, 44 minutes. Now, if, if I go back to my house, my front steps at 43.42, I'm going to run nine, nine seconds out and nine seconds back on my sidewalk so that I get an even number of minutes. But when I was in college, my coach 
yelled at me so much for for running 5.89 miles and putting that in my log <laughs> that he beat it out of me. He he said, "You cannot do this. You either run five miles, you run six miles, cut the crap, and just run a you know a normal run." And so oh, that's funny. You know, and again, I'm I'm being kind of funny here, but it doesn't really matter. 5.9 miles, six miles, 6.1 miles. You know, we're talking a minute here or there, so it, it doesn't matter. Uh, when it comes to your training and when it comes to how fast you're ultimately going to race on race day. But yes, I just for my own, you know, OCD and, and to satisfy my, my neurotic side, I do run even minutes and even mileage. So, so what happens if you, if you're a 10th of a mile from the house and you hit six miles, do you then run seven or do you cut that run short and walk it in? Uh, well, I would, I would walk it in. I would stop at six miles and then I would walk, you know, that was a 10th of a mile to my house. Okay. I hear that. I get you. I get you. Yeah. Uh, or, I, I, you, you know, most of the time, Doug, I just plan better so that I just get back <laughs> at just, six miles. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get to our second question here. Uh, see, this is great. See, I, I was hoping for this banter and for you to keep me honest here. <laughs> Good. So who would benefit from a 10 day training cycle instead of kind of the normal seven day weekly cycle? Uh, let me, let me tackle this one. I think there's really two types of runners that might benefit from this kind of a training cycle and they, they, they really benefit for the same reason. So it's older runners, you know, maybe masters 40 plus or, or maybe more like 50 plus and those runners who are very injury prone. Um, and one of the reasons why older runners might benefit more from a 10 day cycle is because they're more injury prone. So it's really the same reason, but we're going on a 10 day cycle to help prevent injuries because you can really spread out your training a little bit more. And, you know, instead of doing a long run every seven days, you might do it every 10 days instead of doing one or two faster sessions every seven days, you can do one or two faster sessions every 10 days. So what it does is essentially dilute the training density of your program. So you're really spreading things out a little bit more. You're inserting more recovery between your, your quality days. And it's, it's a better program for people who uh, tend to get injured or, or simply need more recovery. Uh, but here, let, Doug, let, let me hear your thoughts. And then I, I do want to talk about some of the drawbacks to a 10-day cycle. No, I think I think that's exactly right. My my initial response was that anyone who is who a seven-day cycle is going to be too intense for them. And they need the extra time for recovery. They need a little bit more of a break between their speed workouts and that type of thing. And of course, uh, if, you, if you're retired and have a much more flexible schedule, or if you have a work schedule that's a lot more flexible, then you can kind of uh, maybe maybe use the ten day schedule, but if you are if you're for most of us if you're working Monday through Friday and weekends are really the only good option for your long run then uh, then that kind of limits you a little bit. Right, it does, and, and this was my my big um, criticism of the ten day training cycle. It's that your law there's no predictability. You know, I think a lot of runners like the fact that okay, I do my harder workout on Tuesday. I do my long run on Saturday. I take Sunday off. And that's just kind of my my rhythm. That's a good rhythm right. of training. You don't get that with a 10-day cycle because let's say you're doing your long run once every 10 days. Well, it's going to be on all these different days. So unless you have enormous amounts of flexibility with your schedule, 
uh, and you don't mind doing your long run any day of the week because it will just change every single 10 days, then you know, you're, you're going to just really run into a lot of scheduling problems. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that there is something to be said for that. And it, you know, I know it sounds kind of silly, but if you are, if you're trying to squeeze in a long run after a long day of work, it's just not going to be nearly as quality as if you had gotten up as you would normally for a long run day, eaten the breakfast that you normally would and prepared properly. Um, you know, if you're trying to squeeze it in at night, it's just not going to be nearly as good. Right. And, and I think that really speaks to the issue of, you know, is the training that we do strictly physiological? I don't think so. I think we need to build in our, our biases and the things that we don't like to do and just our, you know, the fact that we're humans, the fact that we don't want to go do a really tough workout on a, a Sunday night usually or after work or a long run, something like that. You know, it's, it's just hard to do. And when there's no predictability in our schedule, there's a much higher risk for not completing the training. And, you know, one of the, you know, I, I'm probably, people are probably sick of me saying this all the time, but, you know, consistency is such an important aspect to your training and you risk reducing the consistency of your training if you have such an unpredictable schedule that you're going to be skipping workouts because they just don't match up with your work, family, and social schedule too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the seven-day schedule is is kind of arbitrary. I mean, I think that if you were an elite and all you were doing was running, then maybe a five-day schedule or a six-day schedule actually would benefit you better. But for most of us, I think the seven days is just a really good package for us to uh, to fit in, you know, to, to work into our schedules well and to make a rhythm and, and be able to keep that consistency. I think you say all the time, consistency is king, right? Don't you say that? Uh, <laughs> the consistency is the secret sauce to successful the secret. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's even way better. That's, uh, you know, then consistency is, it's the secret sauce. So if you can keep that up, and I think the seven-day schedule cycle uh, allows you to do that more than the 10-day would. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is I, I think the question isn't really this either-or scenario of is it an intense seven-day cycle or a more spread-out 10-day cycle? You can spread things out over seven days. You don't necessarily have to jam-pack your seven-day schedule with two hard workouts and a challenging long run. You can just reduce the intensity of your workout, maybe run a slightly lower, uh, lower mileage long run if you need it. So there can be flexibility in a seven-day schedule. So you know, typically, I don't, I don't like the 10-day schedule. I think it only works for people who don't work, don't have families, and really can dedicate a lot of time to their running. Uh, and then even shorter cycles than, than seven days, you know, you, you kind of run into, can you get in your two priority workouts, which I consider a faster workout and a long run at the minimum in a five day mm -hmm. schedule. And that's really hard. You know, you're, you're, you're getting, um, you know, probably one day recovery in between those two runs sometimes. So, you know, that's another risk. Uh, and actually I should, I should talk about my own personal experience with this because just recently I kind of went on a, uh, five day schedule. I only did it for about 15 days, but I recently got, uh, off the wait list and onto the official, you know, registered list for this trail race up in uh, the mountains here outside of Denver. And race? the thing is, I am not prepared for it whatsoever. So uh, <laughs> I was, 
I, I was really worried about it, uh, and I needed to get my long run up to a certain level that would give me confidence that I could finish the race and and run it, you know, at a at a decent effort. And so, what I needed to do was essentially do three long runs in a two week period. Uh, so I, I went on a kind of a shortened schedule and did uh, as I was building my long runs, I was doing them kind of every five days. Um, and to do that, what I also did was. I removed all the faster workouts from my schedule. I, I was doing strides, uh, but I wasn't doing any kind of fast work. I did a kind of a mini workout today uh, before before we got on to uh, to do this podcast, Doug. And you know, it was relatively easy. It wasn't super high volume, and that was the fastest, or or really, I should say, that was the the only faster workout that I've run in the last two and a half weeks because I had to fairly aggressively increase my long run. So, mm -hmm. you know, it just goes to show you can kind of do some funny things with your, with your cycles, whether it's within a seven day cycle or shorter or a little bit longer. Uh, but it's extremely disruptive and I'd rather not runners do that because it's, it's very hard from a, uh, consistency perspective to keep that up long term. So what I'm hearing you say is that it's okay, maybe not ideal, but okay. If you just cram for a race right before and, you know, don't worry about the build up, the proper build up. <laughs> yeah. I'm basically do, do what I say, not as I do. Yeah. Uh, now with that said, I'm not trying to race this at a, a max effort. It's not, it's really just a fun run. What race for me. is it? It's a 12 mile trail race out in the mountains and awesome. very technical, very mountainous. I'm really just going out there to get a fun long run out in the mountains mm -hmm. and it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, not trying to, to really race it and compete, but you know, we'll see what happens over the last couple of miles if I'm feeling frisky. Yeah, I like it. Go for it. All right, let's uh, let's keep talking about racing. Um, someone wants to know what are your pearls of wisdom for race day success in the marathon. Um, so I'm not sure if there are, you know, I'm, there there are some marathon specific piece of it, pieces of advice. Um, and Doug, you've run a lot of marathons. What do you think? You know, so this is kind of a cheesy one. I, I, and it's the one that I, I like to say the most because I think it's the most important, but I often get a lot of eye rolls because people are looking for something really tangible that they can do. But, uh, my biggest pro was, and with any sort of race day is to stay positive because that attitude will affect everything else. If, if you're, if you're in a negative headspace and you miss a water stop or you, you're fall behind on a, on a particular mile split or a hill comes that you weren't expecting then that's going to have a trickle effect that helps that starts unraveling your entire race. But if you can stay positive with all those things, then you can address them, you can move on and uh, and then get back into a good rhythm and get back into making sure that you're taking care of the rest of your race. Um, and so staying positive is really is a big one. And I have an example at at, at UROC two weeks ago. Uh, the it was a point to point race, and uh, they were doing a shuttle from. Uh, the finish line to the start line um, if you didn't have a ride. So the I, I guess the race director and all the bibs for race day check-in and all that stuff was going to be on the first shuttle that went from the finish line to the start line. And it got, it got really lost, and it showed up 45 minutes late. So most of us were there uh, well ahead of time to get our bib and, uh, and get, you know, go into our pre-race pre routine. And, um, and, the bibs weren't there and the, the race directors weren't there. No one like things weren't set up properly as they should have been because the shuttle got lost and there were people running around everywhere, just kind of panicking, like, 
what's going on and no one really knew what was happening. Um, and finally word got out that they're going to push the race start back a little bit and people could calm down. But I, you know, I was looking at how stressed some people were in that moment thinking that is a terrible way to start a, you know, a 15 hour run, right? You know, you don't, you don't want to start it so stressed out because it's just going to, uh, affect every mile after that. And so if you can stay positive, you can say, okay, you know, things are going to work out. You know, if, if the race directors aren't here, they're not going to start the race without, you know, without the race directors. Um, then, you know, then, then you can move on and you can process and you can address the situation as needed. That's an important point. And I think, of course, yeah, it's a little cheesy, but at the same time, you know, I think we're learning a lot about the role of the brain in racing and training and, you know, uh, what is that Yogi Berra quote? Baseball is, is 99% mental. The other half is physical. Um, <laughs> and, and it has a lot of applications to running and, you know, we have to understand that running is such a mental sport. And if you're starting a race or even a workout or a long run or whatever it might be, if you're starting it from this negative mindset of, of complaining of being anxious, then you're not going to perform as well as the person who is is much more calm much more focused on you know executing their race strategy and things like that um you know i i think when we think about um you know the marathon specifically you know of course there's there's the kind of mainstream advice that we hear all the time don't start too fast that is likely the biggest mistake that that runners make on race day when it comes to the marathon it's going out faster than their goal pace and of course, that's going to feel easy because it's a marathon. The pace is kind of easy for the first 10, 15, 20 miles anyway. Um, but, you know, you're going to, you know, a lot of runners, they try to make deposits in the bank in terms of time. So they try to bank time in the first half so that they have a little bit of buffer. But what they don't realize is that you're going to have to withdraw that time with interest the second half of the race. You will slow down. It's, it's almost a given. The only people who can really negative split marathons are elite runners, and that's because they hit the genetic lottery. They are quite literally freaks of nature, and that allows them to do superhuman things on the race course. Us mere, mere mortals, we can't do that. So we have to run even with the first couple miles, maybe even a little bit slower than our goal pace to help ourselves warm up and, and really get into that rhythm. Yeah. No, I think that that's the that's the most standard advice, and it's it's the most practical advice, really, when it comes to marathon specific running, for sure. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of truth to you know cliched advice or uh, advice that seems a little hackneyed because you know it works. It's it's tried and true. It's proven. Uh, you know, the other thing I'll say about the marathon is that it does require a fueling strategy. Uh, mm. You know, I had one runner tell me once that they were going to rely on adrenaline to get them over the finish line. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. yeah they, they don't have a good understanding of fueling. Adrenaline is for like lifting a rock or, uh, off your friend or sprinting away from a tiger. It's not for running for hours and hours on end. It's not going to give you the fuel you need. Um, so yeah, I think fueling is really important. You know, I, I kind of messed up fueling big time my first marathon and I paid the price. Uh, and I went out a little too fast over the first couple miles. But with my uh, second marathon, I got my fueling right. I got my pacing right. I, I stayed very patient and positive throughout the entire race. I remember my my mantra over the course of my marathon PR race was relax. I wanted mm. to be so relaxed and calm and smooth and fluid 
for the first 20 miles. I wanted to get to the 20 mile mark feeling as if I was on kind of a hard long run, not a race. And that really helped me because it put me in a good mental position at the 20 mile mark. I was like, okay, now I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I don't feel like I've been racing for two hours at this point. I feel like I've been just kind of doing a hard long run. Now it's time to dig in. Now the race really begins. And for me, at least that was super helpful. Yeah. I relaxed, stay positive. I think that those are, those are great. And my, my final piece of advice that is probably more marathon specific than anything else is to make sure that you hit the porter potty as soon as you get to the starting line and not try to get in line when, uh, when you got like 10 minutes before the gun goes off. Cause that the lines is, are going to be so long. <laughs> <laughs> that is extremely practical. I know when I ran Boston in 2014, I was at the athletes village out in Hopkinton and the line for the bathroom was so long that I, I thought I was giving myself permanent bladder damage because I was holding <laughs> it so long. Oh, and man. you got to just go as soon as possible, even if you don't really have to go, cause you're going to be waiting in line anyway. Uh, yeah. so pro tip, especially if you're running Boston next year, Go to the bathroom as soon as you can. <laughs> it's right, important. Let's... It really is important. <laughs> yeah, it's very important. Uh, and I've I've been to races where they don't have enough porta potties. I've been to races uh. where I, I had to skip going to the bathroom beforehand, or I had to go, you know, pee behind a tall blade of grass somewhere uh, because they simply didn't have enough porta potties. And you know, it can it can really throw your race for a loop. So you got to plan ahead. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Question number four. Should rest days be strictly rest or can they be used for cross training or even simply walking? Um, good question. I think it really depends. I think it depends on a lot of things. I think it depends on how many rest days are in the, let's say, call it a seven day training cycle. You know, if you're someone who runs six days a week and you have one rest day a week, I might encourage you just to take that as, as a complete day off. You know, maybe you can go for a short walk, you know, 20, 30 minutes, uh, nothing too challenging. You know, I think not all walking is created equal. A 30 minute, you know, walk around town is a little easier than a two hour hike in the mountains. So, sure. you know, you kind of have to, you know, really define what we mean by walking. You know, I think an easy walk on some relatively forgiving terrain would be fine. Um, but really it's about only using cross training strategically. You know, what is the purpose of your cross training? If it's a 30 minute pool run, then, you know, that's probably best for recovery, you know, padding your, your aerobic fitness, fitness a little bit. And, you know, that, I think that's fine. Um, if you're cycling, you know, uh, if you're going on a 30, 40 mile road bike ride, you know, that that's a little bit more stressful and, uh, you know, that might not help you recover as much after, after a long ride, uh, I'm sorry, a long run. But at the same time, if you're in the middle of your training cycle, you, maybe you don't necessarily need to be hundred percent recovered every single day. You know, as long as you're not, uh, too fatigued or too sore, then some, some cross training would actually be very, very helpful. Uh, what do you think, Doug? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to agree with you for the most part, but I'm going to differ a little bit and that I you know, I think that rest complete rest days where you're not doing anything running related or even accelerating the heart rate too much uh, are important for both the mind and for the body. I think that we build these rest days in for a reason uh, and to take a step back from your training both physically and mentally once a week, you know, twice a week then 
you know, maybe you can fill in one of those with some cross training. But taking taking a step back at least once a week is going to benefit you in the long run. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I like to use those. A lot of people, when they're in the middle of a really intense training cycle, they don't want to rest. They don't, you know, their body just wants to move. They they don't want to, you know, they, they feel like they're wasting the day if they don't do anything. So I encourage you to, instead of, of running or pool running or cycling or something like that, do something, do an activity that's really gentle that you maybe wouldn't do otherwise. So like go on a, on a gentle walk through the neighborhood with your, with your significant other or your partner or, uh, or maybe go to a gentle yoga class that if you don't do yoga, you know, regularly go to some sort of gentle, uh, yoga class or you know do something like that 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 you wouldn't normally do that isn't going to stress your body isn't going to raise your heart rate too much but it's still going to be some sort of activity get your legs moving you know gonna keep your mind uh occupied enough to where you're not going crazy yeah i think that's that's good and and i think when i say a complete rest day that doesn't mean you sit on the couch all day Uh, yeah I think, you know, going for a walk, leading an active lifestyle that doesn't really count as training. You know, if you're walking uh, 15 minutes to your office or, you know, you go for a 30 minute, you know, really easy bike ride with your kids or, or your partner, I don't really consider that training. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's important for an overall healthy lifestyle. And I think it also uh, keeps you moving. It is really good uh, for active recovery. So a day off doesn't necessarily need formal exercise, but I, I love your point, Doug, of doing something gentle that you wouldn't normally do. So gentle to me uh, really means like low impact, uh, you know, where you're not doing anything uh, that's that's really jarring on your legs. So playing pickup basketball would not be a good thing to do. It's very explosive. It's very plyometric. You're sprinting. You're stopping. You're moving in multiple planes of motion. And you know the injury risk is a lot higher for something like that. But you know doing say a ten minute uh, body weight strength routine that that isn't super challenging, and then spending some time on the foam roller or doing some yoga, uh, and then maybe you know, some, some light stretching or, uh, getting on the foam roller. That's like the perfect thing to do on a recovery day because you're not getting your heart rate up super high. You're not introducing any more trauma to your legs and you're kind of just taking care of your body and ensuring that the next day you're going to feel even better. Because I think anyone who has sat on the couch and watched like 12 hours of TV can attest, you feel terrible after that. It, oh, the body yeah. is made to move. And if you move just a little bit on your rest days, you're probably going to be better off for it. Or you could do my new favorite rest day activity, which is, uh, is disc golf, which I'm sure is popular in Colorado. It has to be. I, I'm not – I don't – Actually, I'm not aware of any disc golf courses. The only one that I know, I have some family in Jacksonville, and I always run around the uh, the disc golf course. They, um, I can't believe that the Denver wouldn't be just overflowing with disc golf courses. Yeah, but I, I guess know. not. We're, Maybe we're behind, not. We're behind the ball on that one, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, yeah but I really exactly, like. You know, um, you know, I I have two little kids, and so we just go for walks all the time, and it's just yeah. it's a it's a stop and it's a start, and then we'll go to the playground, and you know I'm with my kids going down slides and running around and doing all this crazy stuff, and for me it's it's not super challenging, and uh, it does get me moving a little bit, and I mm-hmm. also I also just planted a garden, so oh. I am out in the back. Uh, now, granted, I might have a beer or a glass of wine out there with me, but <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, you know, potting plants and bending down and digging and doing all kinds of fun stuff. And I think that's, uh, 
that's important to you on a rest day. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's let's get to our our penultimate question here, uh, and and this one is another one that I think really speaks to the issue of of running by feel and and knowing when you've pushed it a little bit too hard. Um, so the question is, how do you know if a workout was too hard or if you're not resting enough between workouts, Doug? I think if if you're asking yourself that question, then the chances are the workout was too hard. You're not resting enough between workouts. I think that your body uh, will tell you if if you're if you wake up the next morning just very sore, uh, or your legs are just feel like lead at you know for every single run you're just having trouble getting them going every single run. Then you're not resting enough. Then you're not uh, you know you're, you might be pushing it a little bit too hard uh, and not giving yourself enough uh, recovery days or enough rest days in between the hard workouts. So I, you know I think that this is one of those that I mean you could. You can look at heart rate stuff. You can do, you know, all the analyze all this data, uh, and that will tell you some things. But I think really it comes down to how you feel after your run and uh, and during your next run, uh, and and whether you know whether your body is telling you that you need to cut it back a little bit. Right, and doesn't that depend a lot on experience? Because oh, totally, yeah. Yeah. I mean, someone who's been running for 10 years and has done, you know, so many different types of races, so many different types of workouts has challenged themselves with all kinds of long runs and different mile weekly mileage levels. They're going to have a much better understanding of a, what their body is capable of doing and B when they're working too hard, when they've, when they've run too long on a long run, or they simply ran too fast on a workout day. And you're never going to get that, that understanding of your body without a lot of experience. And so, uh, I, I think that includes some trial and error. And that error is usually a minor injury when it comes to pushing too hard and, and knowing if, uh, you're not resting enough, but I think that's a valuable part of the learning process. Uh, and of course I'm not saying, you know, injuries are a good thing, but they can be learning experiences where, you know, if, if you're constantly building your mileage, you, you might get injured. And then that, you know, is teaching you the lesson of, okay, I need a recovery week. I need to hold my mileage a little bit more steady or build it more gradually. Uh, so there's a lot of things to think about there, but um, I, I think ultimately you have to know the, you have to speak the language that your body is speaking to you. Uh, and, and it's speaking to you from what you feel in your legs, how sore you feel. It's speaking to you uh, with your heart rate. So if your heart rate is a lot higher on an easy run after a, a really tough workout, a long run, or even a race, then you know you're probably not recovered that much. Uh, so maybe you run a little bit slower. Maybe you take one extra day of, of uh, recovery off from running. But you know, you have to learn to speak that language and decipher the signals that your body is, is trying to tell you. Uh, and when you do, you're really going to get injured a lot less frequently because you're going to know when to back off. And I think that's one of the most valuable things for every runner to learn. Yeah. And, you know, I think we should say here that it's okay to be sore during throughout training sometimes, and it's okay to have a workout that just totally wrecks you the next day. Um, you know, you don't want that all the time and you want to, when you know that happens, you want to make sure that you're, you're making adjustments and you are, uh, addressing it properly. Right. But, you know, but training should be hard. It shouldn't be easy all the time. You shouldn't feel totally fresh after every run. Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, I think that's another thing that runners, you know, try to, 
um, try to fix, but there's really nothing to fix there. You know, I was actually just mm. talking to a runner who was telling me all about this injury she had. And I finally, I was like, wait, 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 can you slow down? What is the actual injury? And she was telling me her calves were tight. Well, that's <laughs> not actually an injury. An injury is Achilles tendinopathy or plantar fasciitis or something like that. If you're, if you're just tight or sore, that just means you need a little bit more body care or you need to back off on your training a little bit. But for the most part, that's what we want. We want a little bit of soreness. We want to be tired. And why? Mm -hmm. Well, when you're sore and tired, your body doesn't want to be sore and tired. So it's like, all right, let's get stronger. Let's, you know, develop some more mitochondria and lung capacity so that the next time this idiot decides to go out for a 20 mile run up in the hills in the mountains, then we're not going to be as tired and as sore. And so that's the whole adaptation process. And it needs uh, stress. It needs some stress to adapt. And without it, you know, you're never going to get stronger. You're never going to get faster. So, uh, you got to tread that kind of fine line between being injured and, and over stressing yourself and risking burnout and not stressing yourself enough. And really, um, you know, putting yourself in a position where it's the appropriate amount of stress. I call it the, it's the Goldilocks principle. It's not too much, but not too little. It's just right. <laughs> Just right. That's right. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Now, um, speaking of recovery, what if your recovery runs just don't feel good? Uh, so we have a runner that wants to know, um, uh, you know, how to make their recovery runs feel better. Uh, you know, this runner tells me that these recovery runs, uh, you know, they're, they're the slowest runs of the week, of course, but you know, they, they hurt his legs. No amount of warming up before the run changes that. Is this normal? Should this runner just skip running at recovery pace and run at a faster pace or, or skip recovery runs altogether? Like what, what should this runner do? Are you asking me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, no, uh, you know, I think this is an interesting question. Um, and you should not skip your recovery runs altogether. That, that would be my first thing that, uh, that I would say. Uh, and you know, recovery runs are often, you know, they, they are placed within your training block on purpose with intention, right? Because they follow up a, a difficult workout or a long run or a time when you need to recover, right? So you're probably working out a lot of lactic acid. You're, if you're fleshing out your legs, fleshing out your legs, um, and that, that's the whole point of the recovery run. So they're going to be a little uncomfortable. You're going to be a little sore as you get going. Uh, and also, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd want to ask if they were, you know, I would want to check and make sure they're actually running at a recovery pace, you know, not, not pushing it too hard uh, and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, I, I would say that, that recovery runs shouldn't always be comfortable. That doesn't, just because it's an easy run doesn't mean that it should feel super easy. Yeah, that's a good point. And there's so much to unpack with this question. Uh, you know, I think the the first thing that we should probably talk about is the fact that recovery runs do have benefits. And if you're running too fast on your recovery day, then you risk an injury. If you skip your recovery day, uh, and I mean a recovery run, not a, not a rest day, but if you skip mm -hmm. that easy recovery run, then you miss out on all those benefits of the recovery run. Uh, and you know, if you, let's say you do a long run on Saturday and then you go out on Sunday to do say an easy run, you might be in a carb, slightly carb depleted state. And by running again on Sunday, you're teaching your body to be a little bit more efficient with its fuel stores. So that's an, that's an important benefit. The other benefit is that 
yes, you're going to be sore. That easy run is not going to feel easy because you just did a long run. So you might feel a little sore, a little sluggish, a little fatigued. That's normal and that's okay. The benefit here is that you might have uh, fatigued a lot of your slow twitch muscle fibers by doing your long run the day before so that by running the following day, you're actually working more of your fast twitch fibers even by running really slow. So you can work on your speed by running your recovery runs at a, at a slow, easy pace the following day, which is a great benefit. Like who wants to race faster while just running slower during training? That's perfect, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, totally. So there, there are some, some strong benefits to that. And of course, there's you know, the extra fitness you get just from more weekly mileage. Uh, and I think that's, that's really important too. Um, and, and there's a lot of reasons why this runner might be experiencing terrible recovery runs. You know, their workouts the previous day or their long run might be actually be too challenging. And, and we addressed this in a previous question. If you are completely wrecking yourself from a long run or a workout, then you're going to feel like garbage the next day, uh, and your injury risk is obviously going to go up. So we want to we want to first get the effort right on the long run or the the workout, so that you're not completely trashed the next day. So making sure that your workouts are appropriate, uh, I think, is the first step. Um, the other thing to think about too is that you can run too slow. I think a lot of people talk about running their recovery runs too fast, and, and that's you know that's a bad thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that slower is always better. You can run too slow. That is that is a thing. I remember, you know, when I was in college, our some of the guys on the cross country team uh, worked at the cross country camp at our school over the summer, and you know, we all the kids break down into different groups, and as the counselors, we run with them in the morning and in the afternoon, and. I remember I was with the middle school girls running about 11 minute mile pace. And that's about four minutes at the time. It was about four minutes slower, maybe three and a half slower than what my normal easy pace was. And even running 20, 30 minutes at that really, really slow pace made me really sore. It's just, just because your body mm. is not, your body's made for a pace range too fast. You're going to be way too sore too slow, you're going to get sore too. So I think making sure that you're in the right pace range is really appropriate for those, uh, for those recovery runs. And generally it's only a little bit slower than your, your other easy days. You know, you don't have to go a full minute slower than your normal easy pace. You can kind of take a, uh, just a little bit slower, but presumably the recovery run is also shorter. So right. not only is it, is it a lot shorter, but it's just a little bit slower and, uh, that that'll really help. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. And I, I think that really what it, what it comes down to, like what you said, is looking at both your your hard workouts the day before and making sure that you are running them at the appropriate pace and appropriate effort, and then also your recovery run. So making sure that they are where they need to be and not too fast and not too slow uh, and you know, making sure that you're getting the best benefit from that. Yeah, and looking back at all these questions, Doug, I, I really think that the answers to these are all essentially listen to your body and uh, don't do anything that you're not ready for uh, and back <laughs> off when you feel like you need to. And that, I guess, begs, begs the question, like, how do you listen to your body? How do you know, how, like, what does that mean? And I, I, I know I've covered this in a previous blog post, but I, I want to hear your thoughts because, you know, when we say... 
you know, should I cut back my mileage this week because I ran too long on my long run? Or, you know, do I need to do any cross training on my rest days? Uh, or should I do a 10 day cycle instead of a seven day cycle? Doesn't it all depend on how you feel with your current training? Uh, and if you feel, you know, either too stressed or not stressed enough, that's giving us good information to update our, our approach to training. But how do you know, like what, what should we look for in our training and, and in terms of how we feel to make these kinds of kind of big training decisions? Yeah, you know, there, I think unfortunately there's no good answer, and I'm sure your blog post is awesome, Jason. But you know, I think that the 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 real the truth is that you just need that comes with experience. You need to be an experienced runner. You need to have uh, have made mistakes and had made adjustments that work, and and to learn from those to really be able to listen to your body well uh, and effectively. But there are a few things, of course, that you can do. That will help, uh, you know, help you along. And, and one of those is is really just keeping a good training log and keeping good notes, so you can look back and say, you know what, I feel terrible after every single long run for the past five weeks. You know, what is going on here? Or uh, there's been this nagging pain in my knee that only pops up after speed workouts, uh, and it, it's just continuing to do so. Like, what's what's going on? Or you know, I have been just lethargic for the last ten days. You know, how can I how can I adjust my training to do that? So, you know, keeping good notes and and being able to then reflect back on those and and check in with yourself, I think, is a good way to to do that. Um, But it's those cues are hard to understand until you have the experience to do so. Uh, And unfortunately, that kind of comes with with, you know, just running more and and making mistakes. Uh, Of course, having a coach like the wonderful in influencer of the year, Jason Fitzgerald, uh, will, uh, will be good, but, um, you know, it, it kind of just comes with experience and, and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have minor in- injuries that you have to then work through. Uh, but that will always teach you a lesson and that will always, uh, help you out in the future. Stroking the ego of the host is always a good thing to do. Doug, so <laughs> thank you for that. But no, you bring up, uh, you bring up some really good points there. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the experience, the trials and, and errors that you make as a runner, uh, and ultimately, too, the knowledge that you have about the sport of running. So are you someone who reads running books? Do you listen to running podcasts? Clearly you are. Um, are you someone who reads, you know, reputable websites that talk about how to train for different things? Uh, you know, people like this uh, are going to be able to make better training decisions because they have more knowledge about the sport. And so I think the the old ad, adage, always be learning, always be growing, really applies to running. And I think uh, that is how runners can ultimately become a lot better, you know, a lot faster, a lot more uh, injury resistant as if they learn more about it, they become more experienced and they... Um, you know, go through some of those mistakes that are, are kind of necessary, you know, they're growing pains, but, uh, that, that's going to make better runners in the long run. Pun intended. For sure. <laughs> wow. All right, Doug, there we go. Those are our questions. Thanks so much for, uh, for hanging out with us and talking some shop. I hope your legs are feeling a little better after, uh, you rock about a week and a half ago. They are. And you know what, Jason, this is kind of interesting. I, uh, I'm taking my first completely Complete break off running in, a, in quite a while. Oh, good for you. How long is the break? 
Well, I'm on day 10 so far, and I'm kind of eager to get back and to go for a run. <laughs> run. But no, I wanted to go at least two or three weeks uh, of completely no running, doing other things, doing a little bit of cycling, some yoga, that kind of stuff. So staying active. Um, but I think I, I just needed a mental and a physical break uh, after you rock, and, uh, and I'm giving myself that. Well, good. Speaking of listening, it. listening to your body, you know, you know, absolutely. You, you definitely need it. And I think these more extended breaks that you get from running uh, are a hundred percent necessary after big races. So I remember after all of my marathons, I didn't want to run for at least a week. A lot of runners are like three days later. They're like, can I go for a run coach? I'm like, God, really? You really want to go for a run? You just ran a marathon. <laughs> right. Um, but I think, I think it's so much more mental than it is physical after five or seven days. You know, you can, you can start running after seven days after a marathon. No big deal. Now, granted you just ran a hundred kilometer race. So you, you maybe you need a little bit longer, but after about a week or so, maybe 10 days for, for some ultras, a lot of the the benefit that you're getting from time off is just mental. It's taking a break. It's not worrying about getting in a certain amount of mileage or vertical or whatever you're tracking for the week and mm -hmm. just getting the engines back to neutral. Um, and, and you know what I'll say too, every, after every big marathon that I ran at, when I tried to get back into it after just five to seven days, that's when I had the most problems, whether it was mm. injury, whether it was just kind of feeling stuck and, and not getting back into that good rhythm of training. It was when I shortchanged myself on recovery. But when I've taken 10 days, I think one marathon, I took a full two weeks. That was a little hard to get back into it because I just kind of felt sluggish and, and sure. you know, really slow. But, you know, it, it comes back after after about a week of going through the motions, you know, you start to feel like your old self again. Uh, so I'm glad you're taking some time off, Doug. Yeah, I think I, I am, too. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of runners feel like, especially if they had a good race and they're on a high, uh, they don't want to lose any fitness and they want to just jump right into the next training cycle. But you're not going to lose fitness in, in seven days. Your body needs that time. Um, and And I would encourage everyone to to take a little break after a big race, especially if it was a goal race, you know, and that you put a bunch of energy into, into training for. Great advice, Doug. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Folks, Doug is at rockcreekrunner.com. Uh, if you're an ultra runner, a trail runner, uh, or, or ultra or trail curious, he is definitely the resource for you. So Doug, thanks so much for being here. Jason, it was a pleasure. And, uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Hey, all one quick announcement before you leave today. If you're into Q&A, if you like hearing other runners' questions and learning from the answers, we have a free download that you're going to love. It's called the Strength Running PR Guide, and it answers more than 35 running questions that I've received on topics like workouts, gear, long runs, race strategy, and a lot more. Check it out at strengthrunning.com slash PR Guide, and there's a hyphen in between PR and Guide. All right. Thanks for listening to the Strength Running Podcast. Until next time.